The soul of Silicon Valley. I really like the sound of that. You think we can steal it from SRI? <laughs> I knew we were going to give this, uh, I was going to give this sermon a, a year ago um, when I had the pleasure of being in the congregation for a, a service that Dan Harper led and he shared a lot of the history of this congregation. And he shared a little snippet from a letter that uh, an early minister, uh, the San Jose minister, who kind of helped gather people together in Palo Alto and served to help get things rolling around here in this latest incarnation of our church, uh, sent a letter to the incoming uh, first settled minister of our congregation, Dan Lyon, who was to stay for 23 years. And he advised him, the folks in Palo Alto, they're a really nice group. They don't seem to have quite decided whether they want to be a social club or a church. And a little ripple went around the room at the time. Uh, and I thought, hmm, does that ripple mean that we're wondering still whether we have decided that question? I thought maybe it did. And I certainly wanted to explore what is the difference between a congregation and a social club because I think it's important. I think it's important to knowing what it means to us to be here and why we, we do put time into showing up here and making, making this place happen. So first I, I thought, well, there, I understand the, um, the uh, overlap, the confusion even, because there's a lot of ways that congregations and social clubs are alike. I, I say this knowing social clubs mostly from a distance, I guess I, I've never wanted to belong to one that would have me as a member. But, um, the, um, but also, uh, you know, I've known people who ran them or belonged to them and so on. So I, I'm guessing a little bit from my life at the periphery of various clubs and my life right in the middle of a lot of congregations. So one thing I noticed is that something they have in common is um, people are there largely to enjoy each other's company. Uh, being with people that you, you generally like um, and to have a good time, uh, whatever else may go on there. Um, we, uh, like, like a social club, um, spend quite a lot of our, our energy and our financial resources creating and maintaining facilities, a space um, that's pleasant and, and useful for doing the things that are important to us. And to that end, we um, usually, congregations usually, and uh, clubs also pay people to help make exactly that happen. That leads to a whole interesting question of um, the staff's role, but I'll come around to that. We, um, we want to be among like-minded people. Troubling phrase, but true, that there's a certain sense of comfort among the people that we want to be with. In general, we want to be comfortable in a congregation as in a social club, and it goes without saying, I hope, we want to feel safe there. And um, so in all those ways, we're alike. And yet, no, I do not think a congregation is a social club or can only be a social club because there's something else very different. Social clubs primarily serve their own members, their own members as they are right then when they first come in the door. They say, I want this service, and that is what should be provided to me, and that's what I'll make sure keeps being provided to other people. And in that way, they're essentially static. They're essentially 
try to keep a sameness, um, although they may, of course, respond over the years, you know, take out the sauna, put in a squash court or whatever it is for people's changing desires. That's clubs, not congregations. That's not on the capital plan yet. Um, and you could call that a mission. I suppose every organization that you know, goes on for very long has some kind of mission, mission, even if it is just a tagline and we just use it, we never had to have a voter, God help us, an all day mission statement creation plan um, to create it. Our mission is transformation. We come to transform ourselves, we come to transform each other and to allow ourselves to be transformed by others. And we're here because we see things that need to be changed in this world and we want to transform them. That's the mission. I don't think a club could be the soul of Silicon Valley. If it tried, we would think, well, that makes Silicon Valley kind of soulless. Nice people doing cool things together, but soul? No. We could be the soul of Silicon Valley. And maybe for you, we are. And this matter of mission is important, as I say, just for one example. You know, the staff, like the staff in a, in a social club might, um, I hope, learn from some of the practices of customer service, of being friendly and helpful and, um, you know, of course, efficient and capable. But when it comes right down to it, the staff of a congregation, they don't serve the people of the congregation. They serve the mission. That's what they're here to do. And one would hope that that mission is one that everybody ascribes to, and that's why we're here. But it gets complicated. You know, there's a lot of overlap, and sometimes we get confused about exactly what it means to be an organization with a mission. A mission. So, for example, when um, in a, in a uh, large survey of Unitarian Universalists not so long ago, when they, we were asked not just in this congregation, all over. Why, why you're a Unitarian Universalist? Why do you belong to a congregation? Why do you go? Of the choices that were given to people, the most common that was chosen was, it supports my views and upholds my values. That sounds about right, right? A little individualistic. Yeah, that's us. Um, and yet, again, this question comes up, well, what views, what values? Because do we only come to be supported? Or do we come to be transformed? They're not always the same thing. Last week, we talked in a, in a service that really did uh, pair with this one quite well. Um, we talked about the challenge of welcoming people whom we don't yet understand, or think we know quite well and still don't understand. People we don't know if we want to be with, or we know them and we know we don't want to be with them. And it seems to me that although, of course, we want a certain commonality, a certain joint purpose, a certain agreement, definitely about how we are going to be together, if we keep out people who don't already suit the kind of people we are right now, we are shutting off who and what we could still be. 
We're shutting off our own possibilities. And I, I was reminded of this by a response to last week's service. Um, if you weren't here, uh, we, we had, um, in the tradition of the Mexican uh, posadas, we had a little playlet with an innkeeper who um, was asked three times by Joseph and Mary in the rain and with their donkey and with Mary very pregnant, um, will you let us in? And the innkeeper turned them away twice. And um, Mary, our worship associate, led the congregation in berating the innkeeper, putting pressure on, come on, let them in, until, until at the end she did. And the person, excuse me, the person who commented to me said, you know, I thought that the message of the service, I hope the message of the service was that we need to listen to people who disagree with us. And that was exactly the message that I wanted to get across. But, but she said, it seemed to me that we weren't listening to the innkeeper. I kept waiting for us to listen to the innkeeper and instead we just yelled at them, those others, to agree with us. Ah, very good point. Of course, I'd gotten a little stuck in my own metaphor there. I was thinking, the innkeeper is us. Okay, so now you all know the innkeeper is us. And to the extent that we are not as welcoming as we claim to be, wish to be, we are not as open not only to people but to ideas and so on, we need to pressure ourselves <coughs> to open up more. Not other people, ourselves. It's always easy to pressure others. If we arrive at a congregation and we want it to stay the same, and we want us to stay the same, we're trying to freeze ourselves in the state we are right then, then that's the opposite of spiritual growth. I dare say, that, as I say, although I don't know clubs a lot from the inside, a club, despite its similarities, is the opposite of a spiritual community. It's trying to keep things the same. And we don't always want to do that. It's really important that we don't. This gets into all sorts of interesting questions about what's discomfort, what's lack of safety, which I realized was such a rich important conversation right now that I'll have to talk about it another time and give it its full due. I'm not talking about safety. Of course it should be safe for everybody. Always. Within that, there's a lot of room for discomfort. There's an old dictum, I can't even remember who said it first, about what religious communities are for. It's this nice little cute saying with a deep truth to it. We are here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> I don't think clubs do a lot of the latter. Maybe they do a little comforting the afflicted, you know, collect, um, collect for charity and so on. So we do that kind of thing, of course, as a congregation. We look to the, those who are afflicted outside the congregation and seek to help them through justice and service. We do a lot of comforting those who are afflicted within our walls, people who are dealing with illness or who are dying or who have loss in their families, people who are troubled in mind, people who are in anguish of spirit. That is all a very big part of what we do, comforting. 
And then, yes, it's part of our job to afflict the comfortable, to say, hmm, maybe your comfort, financial or philosophical, your position in the world, your just sense of yourself, comes at the expense of other people's well-being or truth. You know, there's a fine line between being comfortable and being smug. And we want to make sure that if you're sliding towards, slu sli sliding towards smug, you get a little friendly affliction here. Yesterday, I heard a, a great minister in San Francisco referred to by one of his members as an, the agitator. And I thought, yeah, congregations, if, if afflict sounds too harsh, yeah, we're agitators for each other. We stir things up. That's a great role for a minister and for the whole congregation to agitate. So we usually talk about this in terms of social justice, but that's not all. That's not the only place where we can be afflicted or we can be comfortable. And what you no might notice when I, you hear these examples is that there's not really like a group of people who are the afflicted and a group who are the comfortable. We're all a mix of both, almost all the time. There's aspects of us, things that we're going through more sometimes than others, where we just need to be comforted, where we just come here for the, for the, the hug of a comfortable armchair and loving people. That's the kind of club aspect. That's where we do have a lot in common with a club. Just take care of me. Such an important part of what we do. And there's aspects of us where we need to be prodded a little, agitated. Oh, I, I want to be challenged. That's really important. And that's why I think the mission of the choir is not just to sound great. That's your craft, to be excellent, to, to do music well. But there's, there's also a mission of helping to transform everyone here, which might happen through beauty. That's a lot of it might happen through just the peace that can descend on a person when we're, you're sinking into music, or you're just listening there, or not peace, but epiphany. You have a mission in helping people be transformed in this congregation, as everybody does who, who leads here, one way or another. So I was thinking about all this, and I realized that it was making me think of a, um, a line in an old song that I've never really understood before. I think I'm getting some insight into it. So um, you probably know it, so sing along with me. It goes, wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. I have never understood that line. The water? Now, wait in the water, I assume, you know, I've always interpreted it as having to do with baptism. You know, you go into the still water or to the river. Um, it's an invitation to, to the spirit that can be symbolized by water. It has, it has all sorts of uh, reverberations with journeys, literal ones, to freedom and, and metaphorical ones to the promised land or to a new life or to heaven. Cross that river. So I get that, you know, wade in the water, going into the Red Sea, into freedom. So yes, come on into the water, but, but, but that God's going to trouble the water always sounded less like a promise than a threat. 
You want me to wade into the water and then God's gonna make like a hurricane here? What? But then I was thinking about this and I think I understood for the first time that sometimes we need to be in troubled water. We want to be in troubled water. When everything is too tranquil, when everything's too much the same, we need it to be roiled a little bit. And isn't that a great thing to call whatever it is that roils it, the Holy Spirit, God. It upsets our balance. It makes us uncomfortable. That's not always an easy place to be, that water. But, you know, Marcelo Gleiser, what we heard from in the Centering Words, he was talking about the physical world when he, when he said that symmetry can be a little stale, A transformation only happens when there's some imbalance. But when we think about our, our lives, when we think about our minds and our spirits, is that not also true? Sometimes things can be too samey. The water is too still. We need something to stir it up. So in the congregation, yeah, we come to some extent to be, to be comforted, to find what's familiar. But let us consider when we're uncomfortable, when we're challenged to do something here or anywhere else in our lives, we're asked to welcome something in that makes us a little uncomfortable, that stirs things up, maybe we could consider, in whatever theological language works for you, that's God troubling the waters. That's something holy is going on there. And accept that as, what am I learning here? How am I growing here? How could I be transformed by this moment when the water is troubled? And I've waded in, and here I am to discover what it is that I'm being called to next. That would truly to be, be to be the soul of wherever we are. So may we be.